Because you remember that we have our love face after church. Let's pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy. Thankful for your goodness, your continuous protection and provisions for each and every member of this congregation. And for this area in which you have located us. We are grateful for all that you do. We know that we cannot fully thank you for the goodness that you display to us. But for the little we can, we join the elect in heaven to say to you, may all glory, honor, dominion, power, and majesty belong to you. For you deserve them. For ours remain the wonderment that we should even be allowed to call you our Father and to address you with that confidence that you do hear prayers. We, thank, we are thankful because we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made all this possible. So as we have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word, we realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual, apart from God the Holy Spirit speaking, aiding, and enabling us to perceive and hear precisely what you have for us in your word. This is a, a request that God the Holy Spirit will do so, and so that we can grasp what you want us to grasp this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. I'm beginning. I'll read in the NIV of 1984 edition. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that, that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have a core concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now the overall message of the section of First Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, that we have been considering, is that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ that is the church of Christ. Now we have been considering the fifth and final reason you should be careful how you treat the members of the body of Christ. Which is because that God has a purpose for constituting the church in certain ways. Now a first stated purpose for God composing the church the way he did is to ensure there will be no division 
in the church of Christ. Now it is his purpose that is stated in the first clause of verse 25 when it says, so that there should be no division in the body. A second stated purpose for God composing the church the way he did is to ensure we care for, we have care uh, for each other, have concern for each other, as conveyed in the second clause of verse 25 when it says, bet that each parts should have equal concern for each other. Now we indicated that believers having concern for each other is explained as sharing in the negative and positive experiences of a fellow believer. Given here using uh, two conditional clauses in verse 26. Now the concept of sharing in the negative experiences of fellow believers is really stated in the first conditional clause of verse 26. Look at that clause. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Now, so it is with this closing that we begin our study this morning. Now, the apostle sets up a condition that may indeed exist, which is the suffering of a believer in a local church described with the phrase, one part. Now, this suffering is given in the word suffer, right? That's is translated from a, a Greek word that may mean to suffer, as the word is used in Apostle Paul's preaching uh, to the uh, Jews in Thessalonica to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ, as we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 3. Acts chapter 17, verse 3. Acts chapter 17, verse 3. It is explaining and proving that the Christ has to suffer. That's our Greek word, Pasco, Pasco. That Christ has to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus... I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Now the word in connection with suffering may mean to endure, to endure. As that is the sense, the word is used in Apostle Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians about suffering, really, as we read in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Second Corinthians chapter one verse six. It reads If you are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Of the same suffering 
we suffer. Of the same sufferings we suffer. Now although most of our English versions translate the Greek word with suffer. But it can also mean to endure. Thus the, the sentence, the same sufferings we suffer of the NIV is translated in the today's English version as this way. As the same sufferings that we also endure. The same sufferings that we also endure. So they use the word, the meaning endure for the Greek word Pasco. Now, the, so then, the word may also mean to undergo, as that is the sense our Greek uh, word is used by Apostle Paul, I mean Apostle, Apostle John really, in relating the message of the Lord to the church in Samina regarding their impending suffering or persecutions, as we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Again, uh, every now and then I need to keep explaining myself in a sense. Part of the reason that in the war study, I could have just said it, says, it means this and it means this and I, I pass on. But part of the reason I don't do that, which some like to do, is I want to show you a passage where that is used. And that is a way to expose the congregation to various parts of the Bible. It's not just one part of the Bible. You'll be, you be exposed to various parts of the Bible. Or I can, of course, re- say it and still quote it and go without you saying it. And, uh, but it is in my understanding is best for us to say and show you what it is and you deal with it. Okay. So he reads... Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. That's a great word. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. Now that command, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, may be translated, do not be afraid of what you are about to undergo. Undergo. That's the way, that is this suggestion of how this sentence in Greek could be translated by the standard English, I mean standard Greek English lexicon of Bauer, Danka, Ad, and Gingre. Now in, a, in the absolute sense of suffering, the Greek word really may mean to die, to die, as it is used to describe the ultimate suffering of Jesus Christ as death in First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen.
First Peter chapter 3 verse 18. It reads, For Christ died for our sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Now that sentence, Christ died for sins once for all. Really, the Greek really reads this way. Christ also suffered once for sins. He didn't just suffer, he died. That's why the word has that meaning, died here. So in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26, the word no doubt has the sense of to suffer, that is to experience harm or emotional pain. So there's no doubt that a believer in a local church may experience harm or loss of some form that will cause emotional pain. So, believers in that local church are expected, expected to share in whatever that is making the life of another believer uncomfortable, as that is the essence of the second uh, the sentence of verse 26, 1 Corinthians 12, where we're starting, when it says, every part suffers with it. Now, so the analogy the apostle used here is clear since he was not concerned with parts of the body, but believers in the body of Christ. The analogy he used reminds us of the truth then, of what is expected of us all as believers. If you're not a believer, it doesn't apply to you. But if you're a believer, it applies to you. See, we know that when a part of our body is in pain, there is a sense that the whole body is in pain. Not necessarily in the sense that each part of the body, or body parts equally, if any, uh, I mean, have the same thing. So, take for example, if your finger is hot, the, the uh, feet do not specifically uh, feel it, but only as part of the body, it can be said that it hurts. It's not going to feel it the same. Doesn't this analogy makes it easy to understand that believers are expected to share in the suffering of other believers in some way, in some way. Now the expression suffer with is translated from a Greek word that appears really only twice in the Greek New Testament. In its other usage, it is used in the meaning of to share in Christ's sufferings in Romans chapter 8 verse 17.
Romans chapter 8 verse 17 reads now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. So in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26, the Greek word is really used in the sense of to suffer together. That is, to suffer along with, an, uh, with another or with others. So the question that we need to answer is this. How a believer could suffer with another believer or share in the suffering of a fellow believer? How, is that? How do we do that? Now the answer of this question though is dependent on the understanding of suffering as a subject. Consequently, we will take a detour to consider the doctrine of suffering in our study today and uh, following, of course, before we return to the answer or to answer the question that we have posed of what it means to share in the suffering of a fellow believer. So that's a detour that we're going to take uh, this morning, I mean today, and Part of next week, I believe. So we begin this morning with the doctrine of suffering. The doctrine of suffering. Now, suffering as a phenomenon that is experienced by people all over the world, regardless of the level of their technological advancement. In effect, it does not matter whether you live in a highly developed society or not. There is still suffering. Now admittedly, there are some kinds of human sufferings that are mitigated by technic, uh, technological advancement. But the most impactful kind of sufferings are not lessened by technological advancement. So anyway, because suffering is a phenomenon that people, believers and unbelievers, face and wrestle to make sense of it, we will examine what the Bible has to say about this topic of suffering. Now we begin with giving a basic definition of what it is that we mean by suffering, then we proceed to consider its origin, look at its types, its causes, its effects, its inevitability for believers, right and wrong responses to suffering. And finally, we look at the benefits of suffering 
as far as believers are concerned. That's where we're going. Again, now we're going to look at definition. Consider the origin of sufferings, the types of sufferings, what causes sufferings, the effects of sufferings, its inevitability for believers. And then look at the right and wrong responses to suffering. And finally, look at the benefits as it affects or as far as believers are concerned. Now because we are basing our doctrine on the scripture, what we will study is strictly applicable to believers. In other words, if you are not a believer in, in Christ, what we will study will not make much sense to you. Now, of course, I do not mean that you will not understand some of the uh, points that we make or will make, but they will ring hollow to you since there's no comfort in suffering that is provided in the scripture to any unbeliever. So we begin with our consideration then of the doctrine of, of suffering with a basic definition. Uh, every English speaking person may say that there's no need to even define suffering because everyone knows what it is. So, bear with me then as I define it to ensure that we are thinking of the same concept as we back on this doctrine. Now, there are two reasons that I want to define uh, this word, suffering. There are two reasons. First, it is, as I have indicated, to ensure that we are all thinking of the same concept as we proceed our study. That's the first reason. Second, the 11th edition of the Webster Dictionary gives two definitions under the word suffering. The first, quote, the state or experience of one that suffers, which of course you know with the word suffer, I didn't really define it, just look at it now. But then, the verb suffer may then mean to experience or be subjected to something bad or unpleasant. See, end of quote. Or, another quote, to tolerate. To tolerate, end of quote. That is, of course, to put up with something. So those are the two definitions in the dictionary. Now the second meaning the dictionary gives is Pain. That's the second uh, meaning that we get pain. Pain. Thus then, it is necessary to be clear what we mean by suffering in this study. We are not talking about to tolerate. So, we use the word suffering then to mean any experience 
of pain or distress. Evident both physically and emotionally. Again, what we're talking about, or what we mean is, any experience of pain or distress, evident both physically and emotionally. So with this meaning then, we proceed to consider the origin of suffering. Now the scripture helps us to understand the origin of suffering as we examine what is recorded in the book of beginning. That is, of course, Genesis. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden where they enjoyed his presence and goodness. They did not have to struggle to eat or to relate to each other. Today, we do that. We struggle to relate to each other. More so of married people. We struggle to relate to each other. But Adam and Eve at the beginning didn't have to go through that. Didn't exist. But that whole thing changed when Adam and Eve sinned against God. An immediate result of their sin is a change of their spiritual relationship with God. They became spiritually dead that was manifested through an emotional suffering they experienced. They experienced experience shame, something that we don't know much about it today. They experienced shame of being naked, hence the assuring of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Now although it may not appear to be suffering on their part to have felt shame, but it, it was. See, shame is a painful emotion caused by conscious or consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Again, what I say, it is a painful emotion. When you don't have that painful emotion to exist, the society decays. And that's what we are today. Because anyone can do anything. And people are, I mean, it doesn't matter. In fact, the, the worst horrible thing you do, the more people flock to you. I just can't get it. It defies everything in the scripture. I mean, how does somebody badly behave and now he's making a whole lot more money? Because people flock to something that's awful. And I used to hear those things. It reminds me of that passage in the Bible that tells us whenever there's a moral decay, then those who are wicked stride in freedom. And that's what we're experiencing. Part of it is this. We remove this suffering, so to say, this pain related to shame. We don't want it. And so we, we think we've got rid of it. But you believe me, it come back. I mean, it's already coming back to bite us as a nation. 
Anyway, record though that uh, we defined suffering in terms of experiencing pain or distress. Now this being the case, when Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked, they had a sense of shame that distressed them. That distressed them. That's suffering, right? Now this distress, which is mostly mental, caused them to want to hide from God. Thus, it is a fall into sin that is the origin of suffering. That sin is the origin of suffering is further evident in the punishment God meted out or uh, pronounced on Adam and Eve as we read in Genesis chapter 3 verses 16 and 19 through 19. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat Of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you return. Now prior... To this narrative in Genesis chapter 3, that has to do with the fall, the Hebrew word that means pain or suffering or toil has not been used in describing anything about humans in relation to creation of God. Now, that aside, the word pain used in the pronouncement of punishment to both Adam and his wife is a clear indication that it is sin that brought suffering in the world. Now the woman is to suffer as it relates to childbirth. But, of course, her suffering is not just confined to that of giving birth. They the whole experience with having and raising children is one that involves suffering both physically and mentally. Raising children involves both suffering, both emotionally, as we say, and physically. 
It's not a simple thing. Now the punishment pronounced on man involves suffering that is associated with making a living. That was really, there should be no doubt that if sin had not entered the world through the fall of Adam, there would have been no suffering on this planet. If there have been no sin, there have been no suffering. So we're going to see, in some of these courses, you're going to see uh, what I mean uh, being developed a little bit better. Now, our assertion, though, that suffering originated from the fall of man into sin raises the question of what, whether every suffering a person experiences is due to the individual sin. In other words, it raises that question that we have to wonder if every time a person suffers, that such suffering is due to sin. That's something we have to grapple with. Well, although sin that entered the world through Adam is the origin of suffering in general, but we have to recognize that not every suffering that an individual undergoes is a result of that person's sin. Not every suffering. Of, look at what I say. The person's sin. I didn't say result of sin. I said the person's sin. Because sin, suffering from sin. But the issue is whether every time you suffer, is it because of your personal sin or not? Now so, the Jews of the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, probably, because human suffering originated from sin, assumed that the uh, man born blind, that Jesus eventually healed, must have been born that way because of the parents' sin. As per the question of the Lord Jesus, I mean, their question to the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 9, verse 2. John chapter 9, verse 2. And hold on to that because I pick up next verse 2. John chapter 9, verse 2. This is their background, which there's nothing wrong with it because it's biblically based. That sin is a cause of suffering. But they just, just as we all have to struggle with it today, to make a distinction between whether the suffering is because of my immediate sin or something else. It's still sin, but whether it's mine or somebody says sin or whatever, or, or that God is doing something else through sin. Anyway, so here it says, his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now Jesus responded by indicating that the man was born blind, not because of his parents' sins. As we read, look at verse 3. 
John chapter 9 verse 3. Look at verse 3. Say, reads, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now this is something very specific. It doesn't mean they are sinless. It's just this issue. Is this man blind because of one thing the parents did? He said, no. That's why he says, this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, so the answer of the Lord Jesus implies him that the specific case of suffering of the man born blind was not due to his parents' sins, but because of God's purpose of the Lord Jesus displaying his power as God in the healing of the man born blind. That's his purpose. This was brought about so that Christ would display his power as God. That's the only reason that this man is suffering. Now, when I go back to this, I remember somebody in this congregation is now in heaven anyway, <laughs> that used to argue with me and fight and you know, all that and when I started teaching about God controls everything and blah, 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 he, he just went on and on and on and because it, I understand all that. Eventually, one day he was reading this passage. And we say, man, I got it. I got it. I said, I'm glad you did. <laughs> anyway, so however though, here's the thing. We should be careful to recognize that the Lord Jesus did not mean that children may never suffer because of their parents' sins. For they do. Now, I mean that when children follow the footsteps of their parents in rebelling against God, that they will suffer because of their parents' sins. As the Lord declared through Moses to Israel, as recorded in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. It is, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. This is the Lord directly describing himself directly. He said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abandoning in love and faithfulness, maintaining love. To thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is one thing you can count on on this planet. I don't care what it is. None of us is ever going to get away with anything on this planet. May not come now, 
It may not come tomorrow. It come back. Believe you me. And you know, like I said, God knows the right time for it to come. When we feel it the most. He says, he says again, the, he punishes the children and the, their children for the sin of their fathers, of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation. Now, as when in Exodus 20, he explains those who do the same as their parents. Anyway. So anyway, the fact is that there may be occasions where a person may suffer. Not because of the parents' sins or even the individual sins. It's not because there's no sin. It's just it's not yours or individual sin. Nevertheless, the scripture is clear that quite often our sufferings are because of our sins. That is why I say quite often it's only a very rare occasion that we are not suffering because of our sins. Very rare. But it's, so we cannot say every suffering. There are occasions we may not suffer because of sin. Now this suffering because of sin is one associated with Israel's failure in the desert. For example, we read in Numbers chapter 14 verse 34 of such suffering. Numbers chapter 14 verse 34. It is for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land. You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Now, my fellow believer, if you are normal, that's one thing you don't want to happen. You don't want God to be against you. In other words, you say, you know what it means for me to be against you. If you are a normal Christian, that's one of the things that should be guiding you. You don't want the Lord to be against you in any moment. You don't want that. Because if he's against you, he's going to deliver you. But if all other people, including devils and demons, they after you, he can deliver you. But for him to be against us, and that's awful. Anyway, the same concept of suffering because of sin is stated in Psalm 107, verse 17. Psalm 107, verse 17. Psalm 107. Verse 17, it is, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered afflictions, affliction because of their iniquities. So sin leads to suffering. So it is this suffering for one's personal sin then that is demonstrated in the suffering pronounced by the Lord Jesus on that woman called Jezebel in the local church of Tyra that was involved in sexual immorality as we gather 
in Revelation chapter 2 verse 22. Revelation chapter 2 verse 22. This is one of those times I say, uh, this is one of those places that you can see God becoming humorous. Say, this one, you like to lie on the bed, I'm going to make you lie on the bed. Look at what he says. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways. You get involved in idolatry, my, my friend. You you just uh, you just asking for the most awful thing on the planet to happen to you, because God does not look at that in a very light way, and that's why He say they will suffer intensely. You don't. That's a believer. You know, unbelievers, yeah, they are suffering. But not with the same intensity the, um, the believer will. You know why? Because the believer, once he lives here, that's it. There's no more judgment, no more pain, no more suffering. So, if you disobey him, you get involved in this kind of thing, you make you suffer on this planet. Because that's it. That's the only way you get it. An unbeliever, oh, yes, it's still waiting for them. But then they have a little bit uh, preview of coming attraction. Of what's coming for them. But yet, it's yet in the future. Now the suffering, the Lord then threatened this woman, is as we have said, due to her sin, so that we should not always then assume that a person's suffering is not due to sin. Now similarly, we should not always assume though that a person's suffering is because of a person's suffering, uh, of sin. Many, most of the time, like I said, most of the time we'll be suffering because of our sin. But there will be real occasions when that's not the case. So we are saying that for the most part, suffering is due to our sins. But there are occasions when a person's suffering may not be due to the individual's personal sin, but to bring to fruition God's plan, as in the case of the man born blind. That aside then, the truth is that suffering originated from the one sin of Adam that caused all humans to be sinners. Because suffering originates from sin and every human being is a sinner. Therefore, no person is exempted from suffering as described in his words in Job chapter 14, verse 1. Job chapter 14, verse 1. Job And uh, if you get Job, hold on to that Job too. 
I'm going to pick up another passage in Job. Job chapter 14, verse 1. It reads, Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Man, when he uses man here, he just means person, male or female. Born of woman is of few days. That is, few days he can live 120. It's nothing compared to eternity. So it's a few days. And it says, uh, we live, we don't have many days on this planet. And then, the next thing says, full of trouble. Now that word trouble, is translated from a Hebrew word, that may mean turmoil. Turmoil. <laughs> you can imagine. That's of course, that state of... Uh, Trouble and hardship. And you don't have to be told how much turmoil the world is in today. But when we talk about world, we're talking about people that make up the world. A whole lot of people today are in turmoil, inwardly. That's why they are lashing out. And they don't really know that. People are lashing out to each other. Because that's an internal turmoil. And they by lashing out to each other in their mean behaviors, they think they're going to get a relief. You don't get relief that way either. But that's because of what Job is saying here. Our days are numbered. But at the same time, it's full of trouble and turmoil. Whether you're able to handle it, it's what distinguishes you as a believer. Is he able to look at all this with everything going on? I mean, you are so peaceful. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem to affect you. Then you know that you are enjoying God's grace to you. Now, I hope, well, I don't know, but I, I, it's my inner desire, though, that no one in this group can be in that turmoil constantly without finding that peace. Because if you are in that state, you're sitting here, it's almost a waste of time for you. Is because of the word of God in your soul, you should be able to avoid this turmoil. Things that would make you to go into turmoil will exist. But it's just a question of, do you have enough resources of the word of God in your soul to stabilize your soul? We're all going to face it. No one is free from it. But you can almost live as if it doesn't exist. If you're faithful to your Savior. And his word. Anyway, so hardship speaks to trouble of some from sort in our life. Hence, Job tells us that there's no one born of woman in a natural way that escapes suffering. Again, this is because we all have sinned. And so suffering that originates from sin is our lot on this planet. It's our lot. can escape it. But you can feel joy, happiness in the midst of it. But you can't escape it. Now, our assertion then that no human being escapes suffering on this planet leads us then to consider 
different kinds of suffering on this planet. So that's the next thing I'll consider. Types of suffering. Types of suffering. Now suffering, as we have indicated, involves pain. Consequently, there are three general types of suffering that exist. Generally three. A first type of suffering is physical. That is most often associated with illness or diseases. Physical. Now it is this kind of suffering that Job experienced during his ordeal as we may gather from Job chapter 2 verse 7. Job Job chapter 2 verse 7. It is so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. I see that word sores. It's translated from a Hebrew word that may mean ulcer. Ulcer. Or inflammation of the skin that's come like a boil. Now, this is usually an infection that causes pain on the body and so suffering on the part of the person uh, who suffers from it. Because of those pains of the body. Now it is this kind of suffering due to illness. That the father of Publius. The official in the island of Malta. That Apostle Paul eventually healed. The man had experienced some kind of suffering from illness. According to Acts, chapter 28, verse 8. Acts 28, verse 8. Again, we are seeing an example of your suffering because of health problems of one form or the other. He says, his father was sick in bed. Look at the next thing. Suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him. And after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Of course, that attracted many people. And those are the things when I read them, I just chuckle to see how fickle people are. That's the man that as soon as they saw the viper call over him, he said, this man is must be an awful man. Look at him, he escaped all this trouble in the sea and now fate has caught up with him. When nothing happened, they changed the tune of what they were dancing to. Anyway, so here, Paul 
the man was suffering tremendously and Paul had to come and pray and the Lord granted the healing. So, the first type of suffering then is physical. Caused mostly for uh, diseases and illness. The second type of suffering is emotional stress. Emotional stress. It is this kind of suffering that the psalmist referred as he described his distress in Psalm 55, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 55, verses 4 and 5. Psalm 55, verses 4 and 5. Again, like what I'm saying, you can't afford, can't avoid it. It will come. But whether if it gets you down, that's where you get into trouble. Now I see, I mean, I know people tell me all this and I say, okay, I hear you. But that doesn't explain it. Because of, you know, people say, they're going through mood swing, this way, that. Okay, fine. If you're an unbeliever, that's fine. But if you're a believer, that's not. Why? Because the Bible says, rejoice always. You can't rejoice and have all this mood swing. That it's impossible. See my point? Anyway, this is what the psalmist says. My heart is in anguish with me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. See, the emotional suffering of, of the psalmist is described with such words as anguish, fear, and trembling. Now, the word anguish is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to swallow down or to dance. But it is used in the sense of suffering or suffering some kind of torture in Job chapter 15 verse 20. Job chapter 15 verse 20. Job 15 verse 20 reads, All his days the wicked man suffers torment. The ruthless through all the years stored up for him. So here it's really more of of torment that's involved or go through all kinds of things. Now many people probably will not recognize that when they worry, they are actually suffering emotionally. All I'm saying is worrying is a, a suffering emotional type. Now this does, it's really not surprising that emotional uh, suffering is described as anxious heart. In Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25. It reads, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word shares him up. 
Now to say an anxious heart weighs a man down is to say that a person that worries is depressed, which is a form of suffering, only that it is emotional or mental experience of someone. Now it is emotional suffering that Apostle Paul conveyed that the Lord spared him by restoring to health Epaphroditus according to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 27. Philippians 2 verse 27. Philippians chapter 2 verse 27. He reads, Philippians 2 verse 27 reads, Indeed he was ill, that's Epaphroditus, and almost died. But God had mercy on me. And not on, on him only, I mean, mercy on him, but not on him only, but also on me, to spare me from sorrow upon sorrow. That is mental emotional suffering. So sorrow is an emotional stress. A feeling of, the, of deep distress caused by loss of, or by some kind of loss or disappointment. So, if a person experiences soul, uh, some kind of sorrow, then the person experiences pain. Only it is mental. Hence, we describe such as mental or emotional suffering. A third type of suffering is spiritual. Spiritual. Now, the spiritual suffering is usually associated with a sense of God, be, of God being distant. That is, that God has abandoned someone or an inward pain because one is concerned with God's righteousness that is ignored. The psalmist described this kind of suffering. In other words, there may be a time you feel God is so far from you. But if you think he's abandoned you, he didn't, but you think that way. Or sometimes it could be that you are distressed because of the spiritual condition of people. That, is a part, that can be a part of uh, suffering that you see. So uh, this kind of suffering is really what is described in Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 22. And looking at time. We will pick it up after the Lord's Supper, after break and the Lord's Supper. Please get your elements and try to peel off the top a little bit. Okay. Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1. 